When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. We've got a victory to talk about following Tottenham's 2-0 win over Brighton on Wednesday evening. That firmly put Spurs back in the top four race following Arsenal's defeat against Liverpool. Before we start talking about all things Tottenham today though, Ali, I think you've got a few words you want to say first of all. Yeah, yeah. You and I were both a little bit gutted. Well, very gutted at the moment, to be honest, uh, because we've lost one of our members of our Spurs reporting community. Um, they're going to be an empty spot at the press conference today because Paul Jiggins, um, unfortunately, very, very, very sadly, has uh, passed away. At he was only fifty years old. Um, you know. Paul, or Jigo, we called him Jigo. Um, everyone knew Jigo. He covered Spurs for decades. He's got so, so many stories he would tell us about every manager, every player. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anyone really in the London football scene that didn't know Jigo. Um, he was, you know, the, the term larger than life character is exactly what you'd, uh, it was kind of written for someone like Paul Jigo Jiggins. Um I think that one of the nicest things you could probably say about him is that you saw him coming and you'd start to smile because he, you knew he was going to come up and say something very funny um, and that would kind of, yeah, just brighten your day up that little bit. And, well, you know, people might not know him out there uh, in terms of purely because he wasn't on social media. As he would always say, I'd last about five minutes on social media until I got booted off <laughs> because... Uh, yeah, he was very forthright in his opinions. Um, and like I say, I, I honestly couldn't tell you one person in the kind of the football world that would say a bad thing about him. He was honestly the loveliest guy. Um, and we are all absolutely gutted at the news. And he's going to be such a big loss from, you know, journalism as well. Um, and also just, just for our, our group of reporters, because, yeah, he, he was the kind of, the smile, the laugh, and he was the guy that, you know, I'm very fortunate to go on, I think, three or four pre-season tours with him. And honestly, there are a few other people you'd want to be across the world in a very different country, places like China and, and Singapore and America than, than with Jigo. Um, because, yeah, he was a well-travelled man. He knew what he was doing and uh, he would always bring humour to every situation. So, yeah, we're absolutely gutted uh, to lose Jigo. And, you know, like I say, unfortunately... Very sad he leaves behind his wife and his 19-year-old daughter as well. 50 just is no age. Um, a big shock for us yesterday. Um, I think Millwall, who were his club, he, he he did adore Millwall and he would always try to crowbar Millwall into every conversation pretty much we had, which was very funny. Um, and from what I can tell, I think they're going to have a, a minute silence for him wearing black armbands. Um, or it, minute, it might even be a minute's applause. And uh, then certainly naming their press area after him as well, which I thought was a lovely touch as well. And, you know, you'll have, if you look on Twitter and type in Paul Jiggins right now, you will see so many nice things about him because he was a guy that essentially looked after everyone as well. You know, we, you know, we both know that. When, when we came into this reporting game, especially in the Premier League, you know, it can be a bit of a closed shop. Sometimes some of the national reporters can be, not all, but just some can be quite focused on what they're doing. And Jigo was not like that. He was very good to us all. Certainly, you know, I remember me coming into covering Spurs, which is a very daunting thing when you've only covered non-league and League Two before. And he just, just looks out for people. And you'll see that, honestly. Type in his name on Twitter now, and you'll see so many people saying so many nice things about him. And I think that's that's the measure of the man. So yeah, big loss for us all. He really is, and uh, obviously, kind of our thoughts with his with his family and his uh, his really close friends over many years as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. Um, on a very completely different note, absolutely nothing as sad or as serious as that. Um, just want to apologise for 
think there were some sound issues with the podcast last week. Uh, I told a fair few people have told me, and actually, I, I did check to look from about fifty minutes on. For some reason, my microphone decided to start clicking um, every few seconds, which wouldn't have made the most pleasurable listening experience. As if my voice wasn't bad enough, you also got a weird clicking noise, I think, as well. We're hopeful that that won't happen today. We we can't guarantee it. Um, I've put in every wire that needs to be put in, reconnected it, and hopefully um, nothing nothing like that happens again. But uh, if it does, I'm sure you'll let us know very quickly and then we'll work out a solution. But, uh, yeah, so let's crack on with the football. Jigo was all about the football, uh, a man of many puns. He loved his football. So, uh, yeah, he wouldn't want us to, to not delve into this Tottenham performance and, and talk about everything that's happened this week. Yeah, I can only echo what you've said about him, really. Just great man, really good sense of humour. And I think if you sat next to him in the press box, you knew you were going to be in for a good few hours next to him. So it was always a good laugh. So anyway, uh, let's discuss Wednesday's win over Brighton. 2-0 win, goals courtesy of Christian Romero. His first one for the club. They and Kulaseski might want to claim that though, however given it was his shot, took a slight nick off Romero and went in. Maybe we can't call it a Romero wonder goal. Well, I mean, you can if you want. It depends how you class a wonder goal. <laughs> he wondered how he scored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he went in. That's all that matters. And then Harry Kane wrapped things up with a, a really well-taken goal in the second half. So a good win. Three points is all that matters at this stage of the season. But I think Antonio Conte and the few of his Tottenham players deep down will have probably been thinking that could have been by more because Spurs did have chances throughout the game. Uh, Harry Kane within the first couple of minutes, uh, pressuring Robert Sanchez in the Brighton goal, winning the ball. And just, I think it looked like he just wrapped his foot around it too much with an open goal. Uh that one went wide. Uh, I think he'll be extremely disappointed with that. And then Kulisewski had a big chance not long after Romero's opener where one-on-one yeah. -on -one with Sanchez opened his body up, looked like he was just going to place it into the corner and got to give credit to the keeper. It was a good save. Uh, Spurs had a number of other chances in the second half, but thankfully Kane got the one to give him a two-goal cushion and they got the three points on the board and as I said, I think that's all that matters at this stage of the season and it was so important to get another win on the board, especially after the unfortunate 3-2 defeat at Manchester United uh, the other day. Ali, obviously you were at the Amex with me. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on the performance, first of all? Yeah, I mean, both halves, I felt Spurs started quite slowly. Um or, or, I mean, likewise, you could say Brighton started both halves brightly, really well, kind of put on the pressure. Um, but I think overall it was still quite comfortable for Spurs. They, I mean, Brighton didn't have a single shot on target. Hugo Lloris didn't have a thing to do. Um, third clean sheet in four Premier League games for the defence. So, obviously, that's got to be a confidence booster for them. Um, and like you say, yeah, could have been more. Could have been, uh, it could have been a lot more. Um it was what they needed, Spurs, other than just to purely keep the win-loss, win-loss pattern going. Um, I think, you know, I think the man you defeat, and Conte's come out and said it, I think a lot of the players have come out and said it, yes, it was defeat, but it's probably the first defeat they've had where you kind of felt you probably should have got something out of that or maybe even won it. You know, that they, they didn't play that badly at all. They played well, in fact, for large spells of it, but just... You know, three very clinical Ronaldo moments, slips kind of in defence as well. Um, but otherwise, around that, they actually took the game to United and played well and, and bossed the possession. So I think it wasn't the case really of coming into this Brighton game being um, downhearted, I don't think, after. I think disappointed, but not kind of morale-crushing defeat, I don't think it was. And yeah, they, they looked... I think the best way to say it is they're looking more and more like a Conte team. And that's why I think we're seeing more of a content Conte as well. Um, certainly after this one, he's he keeps going on about the work on the on the training ground. And, and even Hugo Lloris has said it's about repetition. They keep going over and over and over things on, on the pitches at Hotspur Way. And, and it's starting to bear fruit now as well. Some very good performances. Um, not too many bad ones. I think Son was quiet again. Other than that, Matt Doherty didn't really 
kind of live up to the heights of what he's been doing recently as well. Um, but no, it, it was it was it, it was kind of what was needed. It's a weird one. You kind of, I think we're probably both wary now of going overboard about a victory because <laughs> the pattern in twenty twenty two suggests um, you know that it's going to be a defeat. But it can't. I mean, if there's ever a game to break it, it's this Sunday. Spurs really, really need to. But uh, I just wanted to say on Son as well because uh, it does make me laugh that. It will, you know, he's out. He's out of form. He is. You know, there's no getting around it. And, and I know there's a lot of people out there that absolutely adore Son, and, and quite rightly too. He's probably he is either is possibly my favourite player at Spurs. Um, but you know, when you actually look at his stats, he scored seven goals and has provided five assists in his past fourteen league matches. So that's twelve goal involvements in fourteen league matches. I'd love to be that out of form. <laughs> that's what you do when he's out of form. And I think that is a measure of Sonny as well. That the way he's contributing yet still not being at his best and probably just being knackered and overplayed is quite impressive. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a kind of performance that um, Spurs needed to keep the momentum going. They were quite compact. Um, like I say, I think Benton Kerr and uh, Hoybier, who we're going to talk about, I thought they, they protected the midfield really well, but also sprung Spurs forward on the attack. And that's crucial to the Conte way. Um, and uh, yeah, Sergio Reglon had a strange game. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll have a chat about him as well. He was a mixed performance, I think, from Reglon. Did some very good things and did some things that weren't so great. Uh, but overall, another victory, and it's all getting rather tight in the top four race. It definitely is. I think it was just nice to get a win at the Amex as well, because Spurs have had some horrendous results there in the past couple of years. There was in 2019, that dreadful, dreadful 3-0 defeat uh, in one of Pochettino's last games. Uh, that came, well, about three or four days after the 7-2 defeat against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. And you're thinking after that, can't get any lower. <laughs> it was even worse. It was dreadful. And then last year, uh, a 1-0 defeat, wasn't it? It was it a cold January evening or something when you were there and Spurs just didn't lay a glove on Brighton so nice to get a win I know Brighton have been struggling recently it was five defeats on the bounce in the league coming into Wednesday's game but they are a, a good team they've got some good players and you know you're still going to be in for a battle and they're going to create chances because they've got the likes of you know Leander Trossard Pascal Gross as well more pay causes issues up front they are a good team so it's nice to see Spurs uh, just get the three points on the board because they just needed to after Saturday's defeat at Manchester United. I think we should talk about Rodrigo Benson Kernhaus. Uh Obviously, he came in in January. He's made a big impact and I think he was very good against Brighton. Almost scored a comical own goal about <laughs> midway through the first half. Uh, I have no idea what he was thinking there. Didn't I think he believed there was a foul uh, on one of the Brighton players, believing there was a free kick. So it was one of those where it's like kicking the ball back towards his own goal in frustration. And you're thinking for a split second, that's dropping over Larice and going in. But <laughs> thank God it didn't. Uh would have been obviously one of the all-time great Premier League own goals uh, if it went in. Uh, but just went over. Uh, I think he's just looked right at home over the past two months or so, and he's just getting better and better. He's a, a classy player, had a big impact for the second goal of the game, and I think there's still certainly more to come. And him and Hoybjerg did well. I think Hoybjerg's had a good couple of games. I know he struggled uh, at times recently, but I thought it was very good. But Old Trafford looked more like the Hoybjerg of last season when he was at his best. So hopefully we'll see a lot more from Hoybjerg between now and May and the same for Benton Kerr. I know in your play ratings, I think, did he get top mark in the end, Benton Kerr? Almost, almost. I think he shared yeah. it with Kane in the end and, and some of the defenders. Um, yeah, I'd say this was probably Benton Kerr's best game, I think. I think, like you say, it's the best way to say it. He's kind of been steadily getting better and better and better. Um, yeah, with that, with that early almost own goal moment, I think, yeah, like I think you're spot on. I think he thought it was a free kick, so he was just booting it. 
I don't know whether he was just trying to boot it into the person on the ground. But I think, and I think he claimed as well, it took a touch off the person who was on the ground. And so that was why it did that weird kind of elevation, um, like the dip on it. But um, now that, that aside, it was very, very good. Um, he's such a he's such a kind of paradox of a player, and that he is. He's so kind of calm on the ball, um, maybe too calm at moments. Um, some of his passes, you you are going to see him once in a while pass the opposition, but. And the flip side, he can be quite aggressive when he tackles. Um, it's a funny little blend of a of a player. Um, he's still adapting to the pace of the game. I think he's getting better and better with that. Um, you know, as we saw against United, especially the first goal, he was kind of drawn in and, and came out of position, and, and that kind of contributed to the space United had to attack for that first goal. Um, yeah, because it, yeah, it goes Ronaldo out of space, didn't it, to come into and have that shot, and then it was like acres until Dyer was there. Um, but no, this was this was good, and you know, uh, against a team like Brighton who play the ball really well, they play it around the pitch, their movements very good. You do often wonder whether I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you shove Harry Kane into that Brighton team up front, I think they'd be superb. They just play the ball around so well; they just they just have no real cutting edge. Um, and if they had that at the top and someone who could, you know, put everything away that comes near the box, yeah, there'd be some outfit. So I think for the midfield to kind of, I think, dominate at times against Brighton, certainly possession was, Spurs had more of the possession, I looked at the stats. So I think that that was kind of a big pat on the back for Benton Kerr and Hoybier. And then, of course, what you also want in a Conte system, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is not only the ability to break up the uh, opposition attacks, but also set Spurs very quickly away themselves. And we had no better example than Benton Kerr's surge up the pitch. He absolutely kind of burst up the pitch and then just played the perfect ball for Harry Kane. Harry Kane's movement was superb. So VAR looking at it, it was like, come on. <laughs> if that had not been given, that would have been utterly ridiculous. Um, but it was just a lovely weighted pass. He's done a few of those now. We're seeing that. It's, I always hark back to it. It's quite funny when we were watching a game at City and we had that Italian journalist next to us who was telling us, oh, we won't play nice passes. You won't see him set up goals. <laughs> it's like the same match. Did he play in Kulisevsky to set up the winner, didn't he? Yeah, and we've seen him do it quite a bit. He's got a good passing range. So whether it was just something he wasn't required to do with Juve, I don't know. So maybe they didn't get to see it too much. But I think at Spurs, we're seeing that exactly why Conte wanted him because he fits that role like a glove you know a, a destroyer and a little bit of a deep line playmaker all in one and he's got the ability to beat a man as well you know I'm not saying he's like an Omnibella he's not going to take on two or three people and like drift by them but he certainly can surge past one player at least and that gives you that little bit of space on the pitch so you know I was very impressed with him um Asked Conte about him and Kulisevsky afterwards. Well, technically, I only asked about Bentancur, but he made it about Kulisevsky as well and just said, you know, that's it's so crucial that they've hit the ground running. And I put on my talking points, I think, I can't remember two signings signing for Spurs in the January window that have started so quickly and adapted so fast. I mean, sometimes, yes, in the summer, you know, you'll get a few players that, because they've got the pre-season, settle in quite quickly. I generally cannot think. I mean, obviously, you have Steven Bergwijn came in a couple of years back and scored that one goal at Man City. But I can't think of two players at Spurs coming in and just doing what these two guys have done. You know, we've criticised, or certainly I have, criticised the way we went about Spurs, the transfer window, you know, in that last day. Uh, just going back to the old club, Paratici, it felt like. But you can't, that doesn't, that's not to discredit how perfect a fit these two guys are. And you kind of think, well, why don't you just go for them earlier? <laughs> just get them in. You're going to be in some matches you're going to use them in. Um, but no, no, Benzico was super. He was really, really good on the night. Absolute transfer bargain yeah. as well. Such a good signing. And he's, he's just going to get better and better uh, as he adapts to the pace and intensity of uh, the Premier League. So I think we'll talk about another new signing. Uh, from the summer who actually got his name on the score sheet. That was Christian Romero. We've seen him upfield at pretty much every match. Uh, he must spend a good portion of the match in, in the final third and you're thinking a goal is going to eventually come. 
rather fortuitous. Uh, Kulosevsky having the low shot outside the box. Initially, we're thinking it's stuck in the off a, a Brighton defender, but no, hit Romero, went in the bottom corner. And uh, yeah, another really good performance from him. Again, uh, I think my only concern with him at the moment is just the yellow card. Yeah. It just seems to be every week or every other week. Uh, I think since he returned in the start of February, I think he's got about five or six maybe. About nine or ten games. The concern now is he's on eight in the Premier League and there is a cut-off point coming soon. What is up to including a team's 32nd game of the season. If you get ten bookings, you get a two-match ban. Uh, Tottenham have played 28 now. So, full-time whistle of the Brighton match. So... Fingers crossed Romero will avoid two bookings in the (laughs) next four games. games. (laughs) That's a big ask. It is is, it's a huge ask, uh, given Romero managed to get 15 bookings last season for Atalanta. (laughs) Well he's got 10 in all for Spurs in all competitions and a red card. Yeah. And the worry is if you get 15 in the Premier League, then you get a free match ban. So I mean that he's still got plenty of time to get 15. Really has. So I think there's yeah. what ten games left for Spurs. Get seven yeah. in these next ten, something like that. <laughs> yeah, but then he'd miss two, wouldn't he? True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Very true. Oh yeah. Well, well, Trying try to put that on him. <laughs> Romero banned for the season. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's been very good, and uh, you were impressed with him again, as you have been pretty much all season. Yeah, yeah, to a degree, to a degree. I think when I talk about the paradox of Benton Kerr, I think Romero is that times a thousand. When he's on the ball, it's like watching, it is, it's like watching some South America. Yeah, I know he is South American, but watching some South American kind of midfielder. Like, or it's just, he's, I know you adore watching how far up the pitch he gets. And, and that, you know, what was he doing in the box in the first place for his goal? It's like, it wasn't even a set piece, was it? I was trying to think. I no. don't think he just stayed up there. He was just standing in the middle of the penalty area. You know, we used to laugh about Serge Aurier doing that, and he was at least a right back, whereas um, you know, <laughs> Romero is a is a is a centre back. Yeah, but when I talk about that paradox for him, he's so calm on the ball. There's little moments where he just does a little like dinked pass to someone, or or lofts it over a player's head to a teammate, and then the next moment he's charging like a bull into a tackle. And that's going to work. That front foot defending is going to work probably nine times out of ten. But that tenth time, oh, my God. The last two he's had have been so late, haven't they? You know, your mate Richarlison getting one of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, well, I can't remember who tackled now against Brighton, but uh, it was... Uh, it was um, McAllister, I think it was McAllister. And then literally, like, a few minutes later, he was arguing with Kukurea in yeah. uh, his yeah, own he box because he went down he could just get yourself out of this situation yeah, no. you are going to get a second yellow yeah and Conte was really interested on him afterwards when he was asked about him he very much um, I think what he keeps praising is his potential and how much room he has to improve but he kind of I've got the comment here which was really interesting it's uh, he's a player with a lot of a young player with a lot of space for improvement he has to have the desire the will to continue to improve and ask himself much more because he has the possibility to become a top defender top defender but it depends on him and on the manager to help him sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way but the most important thing is he has to improve i thought that was quite telling and i think you see that with romero i think and this isn't a bad thing because i think you need that certain amount of arrogance and confidence in yourself as a player as a top player but I think I think he knows how good he is. And then you get that impression. I think that's why he's so kind of good on the ball and everything. But that shouldn't stop you from improving. You know, that should just mean that you, you you're aware that you've still got more to go to reach the very, very top. Um and I think Conte, you know, I think Conte enjoys working with him. I, I'm intrigued to know what he means about helping him in a good way and sometimes in a bad way. I'd love to know what you I might even ask him that today at the press conference. Um, just to get a little bit more clarification on that, because I, I think there's 
there's something very interesting in there that he didn't quite want to go into or didn't choose to go into at that point. Um, no, I like Romero. I think he's absolutely can be top, top class. You know, you don't become Serie A Defender of the Year at what probably would have been 22 at the point, 23, um, if, you, if you're not absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's just blending that, knowing when to be aggressive in the challenge, when to put your foot in, when to just shut your mouth, like you say, or just just don't get involved. That is definitely a maturity thing, you know. Oh, when we're all 23 years old, some of the stupid things would have said and done. Um, but uh, no, he is he is he is very very good, and I think he he should really only get better as long as he steers clear of any more injuries. He should be a very very good player for Spurs for years to come as well. Just going back to the yellow card, I think he still can get 15. I think he has to get two bookings <laughs> in the next two games. Then he'll miss, uh, who is it? The Brighton oh, yeah. and the Villa. Because it's 11 uh, matches, so yeah, it could. And yeah, then if he gets right. five, if he gets another five in his last six games, what would be uh, something spectacular, then yeah, he would get a free match ban. Hopefully and that's let's happen. be honest, he would thoroughly deserve it <laughs> if he managed to do that. <laughs> that would be so ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think Conte will be in his ear about that. He's, there's no way. Yeah, to be honest, Spurs can't really even lose him for two games. They can't. He's got to get to that mark. Um, whether that takes something away from his game or not, we'll see. But uh, he's got to curb the yellow cards. It's, it's uh, too frequent. That's an absolute banker. Yellow card, first 10 minutes against West Ham on Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, right. I think we should talk about the rest of the defense because I think Eric Dyer and Ben Davis also deserve praise for a really strong showing at the Amex. Uh, Brighton did have a couple of spells when they were putting Spurs under a bit of pressure, didn't have any shots on target, anything to you know, even worry Hugo Lloris, but. They were still in a few positions where they did get shots away. Then Eric Dyer made a couple of good blocks in the first half. Ben Davis made an excellent one uh, towards the end of the second half. And two players, really, especially Davis, I don't think he just gets the praise he deserves at times. And I believe you, I think, wrote an article about him yesterday <laughs> on that very fact. Yes, I did. I did. I, I did. It went out this morning. Um, got to show Ben Davies a bit of love. You know, anyone that knows me knows that I hate it when players are scapegoated, especially when it's really unfair. And I think you always see these people on it's mostly Twitter when they're sort of, oh, we've got you players we have to sell. And there's always Ben Davies' name is like among the top. It's like, why do you think every manager loves Ben Davies? You know, you look at some of the things Jose Mourinho said about Ben Davies. Look at what Pochettino said about Ben Davies. Look at what Conte says about Ben Davies. Whether you believe he should be a starting 11 player or each week or not, you take a Ben Davies out of your squad and you're losing quite a, an important squad member. I think everyone, there's this belief in the world, that I think, or sorry, in, fo in football anyway, whether it's, I don't know, whether it's it's among older fans or younger fans, I, my feeling is it's maybe younger fans, and apologies for sounding incredibly patronising, but I don't know whether it's those who play computer games and they assemble their own squads in like FIFA and Football Manager and all of this. There's this kind of feeling that all 25 players should be world-class in my squad. Get this man out, get this man out, and I'll build this super squad. In reality, that's not how football works. You, know, you need players that are kind of reliable and dependable and are there for you and give you absolutely everything. They might not be the headline grabber. They might not be a world-class player. But, you know, I mean, a great example is you look at Conte's title-winning team with Chelsea. Do you seriously think that was 25, you know, world-class players all contributing every week? No, it wasn't. It was a really good mix of incredibly talented players and also other players who are good players, but have that extra something about them as well as that. And I think that's exactly what Ben Davies is. You know, he's, I thought he was terrific on Wednesday night. I thought he, he played, I looked at some of the stats and he won five aerial duels, which was way more than any of the other defenders on the pitch, apart from, I think it was Duffy, the Brighton player. I think he also got five. 
Um, and you look at it, Ben Davies is the smallest defender in the back three for Spurs. Yet he's winning all of these headers. And that tackle as well was superb. And didn't he do a brilliant last goal tackle against Man U as well? I feel like he got back and was it Sancho? I think he did a brilliant one on Sancho in the last couple of minutes. Um, you know, oh, and also, what was the one? It was when Loris, when Loris lost the ball up the pitch against um, oh, Leeds. Leeds, one day, yeah. And um, was it Dallas ran through? I think it was Stuart Dallas. Dallas yeah. Stuart Dallas ran through. And out of nowhere, Ben Davies just screams in and makes a brilliant block to stop what should have been an easy goal. And these, this is what I mean. It's kind of Ben Davies would, and it's not to sound overly dramatic, but, you know, he would sacrifice himself. He would put everything on the line to help Tottenham. And if you look at some of the most talented players that Tottenham have had over recent years and, and across their past, you cannot say that about most of those players. They wouldn't do that. So that's why I think it really annoys me when I see just like, yeah, so Ben Davies, rubbish, and all this sort of stuff. It's like, no, no, because like, as much as, you know, everyone knows I'm a huge Tongi Ondembele fan. Of course I am. He's one of the most talented, gifted footballers out there. Would he put everything he has on the line for Tottenham Hotspur in a match? I don't think he does. I don't think he, he, he will. I don't think he's that kind of guy. Um, so, yeah, it just really annoys me when I see stuff like that about Ben Davies. And, and even, I think this is the problem is, He'll play really well against Brighton. And I think he played pretty well against United as well. Other than, you know, once in a while, he'll, he'll give the ball away, as every single player on a football pitch does. Um, but I think people don't kind of take in or count these really good performances. So, so then when he has a tough day, or he comes up against an absolute class player who would turn any defender inside out, it's like, oh, that's why we need Ben Davies out of the team. And it's just like, oh, it really it does. I just... I don't like it. And I just think he deserves so much more kind of praise. He's one of these guys. I mean, when did he come? It was 2014. It's Poch's first signing, wasn't it? Um, so now we're looking at eight years at the club. You look at what that guy's done for the club. He was back up to Danny Rose for years. Um, got his chance when Danny Rose was injured. Had put in some of the best numbers of any left back in the league that year. And he's just always been there for Tottenham. Um, so yes, so I will always stick up for Ben Davies. He's got me in his corner. Not that he needs me, but uh, you know, I thought he played very well. I thought Eric Dyer, um, Eric Dyer, slightly more mixed night, but probably better than he was against United. Um, and actually, to say that, massive credit for him for some of the blocks he was doing. He kept doing this thing where he'd like go down on one knee as if he was proposing. It's that kind of block where he kind of goes down and makes sure that his, his whole leg is on the floor to block a shot. Um, and he did that three or four times. I think his his blocks were the highest numbers on the pitch, I think. Um, and then you've got Romero, who... Romero was probably the most mixed out of the three, actually. I'm going to say that. I'm probably being unfair on that. I think I'm maybe mixing in his United performance as well. I think he was actually pretty, pretty solid, him and Davies. And then Romero just had a couple of moments, a couple of heads gone moments, but that's what he does. Um, but yeah, as a back three, as I said earlier, three clean sheets out of four in the Premier League, you can't sniff at that really. That's uh, that's exactly what you're after, and uh, hopefully, I can build on that this weekend. I think for Davis, it's just the perfect position for him in the back yeah. line to think that he's better defensively than he is going forward. But he can contribute going forward, and Conte's system does give him that license, you know, to push up as uh, the left-sided centre-back. Yeah. yeah, and for me, I think when he does leave Tottenham at some point, whenever that is, I think you'll realise what he actually brought to the yeah. club and how much you'll miss him yeah. when he goes. Uh, and eight years he's been at Spurs now. If the managers didn't rate him, it'd have been long gone by now. So, Sergio, Mourinho, Poch, Conte, top top managers, and there he's in the team. So I've got to give him it's credit. Not a coincidence, is it? No, no, not at all. Uh, since we're speaking about Eric Dyer, we might as well talk about the England squad. He's not been named in it for their upcoming games this month. For me, he should be in it. I can't see why he isn't, given his current form. Uh, obviously, he wasn't his best against United, but 
prior to that over the past few months he's been good and especially since he uh, returned from injury Spurs have looked more solid for having him there but he's missed out uh, it looks like it's Connor Cody Tyrone Mings uh, Harry Maguire's in uh, Mark Gerhe from Crystal Palace first time call up Ben White as well I'm not sure if John Stones is in so I mean Southgate does have his options and He's opted against putting Dyer in. I mean, I'm assuming you, your thinking is the same as mine. He should be in the squad. I think he probably should. I think Spurs will be delighted and Conte that he's not <laughs> because it means they can just you know rest him up and have him as fresh as anything for after the international break. Um, it's a difficult one with international managers because it kind of works two ways. It's like, do you pick players who are in form right now in terms of their club football? Do you pick players who have done right by you in previous games? So, you know, so someone like Harry Maguire, let's say, obviously he's getting pelters for a lot of his form for United, yet for England and Gareth Southgate, he's kind of always been there for him and he's put in some big performances as well. Um, so I appreciate it's a little bit more nuanced, I think, when a, when a national manager picks his squad. Um, and they'll, you know, a bit like we're talking about Ben Davies, they will have players that they know they can go to and they will get exactly what they want out of them. But the general public will be saying, yeah, but they're not playing well right now for the club. So I get it. But I think in terms of purely on Eric Dyer, yeah, I think he's probably done enough to justify getting himself back into that team. And he's uh, been a, quite a kind of a, a linchpin in that Tottenham defence. And they're starting to keep a fair few clean sheets as well. So... Yeah, I'm not quite sure what more he could have done, really. We'll go back to the 2-0 win over Brighton and another one of the back line, Sergio Regalan. He's been back in the team past few day, past few games because of Ryan Sessignon's absence through injury. Uh, as you said earlier, a bit of a mixed night for him at the Amex. Some bad bits, a few good bits. Should have really been on the score sheet as well. Uh, had two very good chances. One following a really, really good pass from Harry Kane. Sprayed ball out to him. Took a couple of touches into the area. Low shot, say, by Sanchez. And then he had another one in stoppage time. Pretty much a carbon copy, really. Exactly mm -hmm. the same position. And unfortunately, didn't manage to find the back of the net. I think with Regalon, the issue is his movement is there. He's got a lot of quality. It's just the final ball at times. It's just his final actions what are, are letting him down. And that's the thing he really needs to sort out at the moment because it does appear that Ryan Sessignon is ahead of him in the pecking order. So given Sessignon's absence at the moment, Reguilon needs to be doing as much as he can really to show Conte that he should be uh, the first choice at left wing back. There's certainly... A good player there. I know he's not played as a left wing back a lot throughout his career and he's got to you know, learn the position and that, but he's definitely got attacking qualities, what can certainly help Spurs out, but he's just fixing the final ball, really. Uh, I mean, what did you think of Reguillon's performance? Yeah, I think he summed it up really well there in terms of every attribute he's got lends itself to being the wing back, really. He's, he's so fast, he does love to just surge in kind of behind the defence. Um, I mean, at times, at the Amex, it was like, for anyone that likes the NFL, it was like Kane was a quarterback and Regulon was a right wide receiver. He just kept running this route down the left, knowing that Kane would pick him out. These beautiful kind of sliced balls out to the side. But in NFL terms, kind of Regulon kept fumbling it every time. He kept dropping the ball and just you don't feel any confidence when he gets into the box that he's going to put the ball away. And we've had quite a few incidents of this now where he's got into the box and he's just hit the ball safely kind of right at the keeper. There's no conviction in the way he finishes the ball. Um, hopefully that will come. Like we say, he's new to this role. Um, it's it's not... Sessignon is the more natural wing-back. It does fit him slightly better. Um, but there's no reason Regulon can't can't adapt himself to be a wing-back. Um, yeah, it was a funny performance because you've got to praise someone for getting into those positions because that's exactly what Conte wants. He wants the, the wing-backs essentially to be wingers. 
So you can't really knock him for doing that. But yeah, I mean, there was one recently, I can't remember what it was. I think it was quite a crucial one where he went into the box and he got it saved as well. And yeah, he needs to um, he needs to up that side of his game, he needs to be more clinical. I don't know, you know, I'm not privy to what, exactly what they're doing on the training pitches, but you'd imagine the wing-backs do some of the attacking training as well and they'll be practicing their shots and, and things like that because I think they kind of need to. When he first arrived at the club, he was pinging in beautiful crosses, wasn't he? And we were kind of thinking, hello, we've got an assist man here. Um, but that's that's dropped away. And we haven't probably seen enough of that, especially this season. Um, I think he's had something like two assists all season, maybe maybe one goal. It's not a lot. Um, but yeah, is he going away with Spain? I'm not sure if we've seen the Spanish national squad yet. I'm not sure, to be honest. I've, I've not checked. I imagine... You'd think it would be in contention, but I mean, they've got some decent players at the back, so... Yeah, yeah. he got in last time, I think, because of a, a re- he was a replacement, wasn't he, for someone, I think. Right. I think the only reason I ask is because I think he could really benefit from having time with Conte working on the training pitches, uh, just kind of so almost one-on-one stuff. Um, because it's all there. It's just kind of just getting the end bit right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the fight for fourth place at the moment? Because the full-time whistle on Saturday evening, you're thinking Spurs have blown such a huge, huge chance here to, to no closing on fourth. And then following uh, Arsenal's defeat against Liverpool. And to be honest, there was a huge cheer outside the Amex when that second goal yeah. went in because uh, the Spurs game had finished a lot earlier. Uh, we all knew what had happened when that cheer uh, arrived. With Arsenal losing, you know, Spurs are banging it at the moment, really, given the inconsistent nature of the form. In other seasons, I think they'd be well out of the running now. But the fact that everyone around them seems to win or lose week in, week out, is giving Spurs a glimmer of hope. And I think Conte said it, I think he was in his pre-match press conference. Might say that after as well. And all I can do at the moment is just keep winning the games and just see where they are. And I think, for me, I think it's going to go right down to the wire. I know we've not got a date for the Arsenal-Spurs game, uh, which was due to be played in January. But because there was no date for the April fixtures, you can definitely say Sky uh, looking at that final midweek in the season, to put it, because they'll want... Uh, all the uh, viewers tuning in and watching yeah. what could be a deciding game in the battle for the top four. And this weekend, huge game. If Spurs can beat West Ham, then yeah, they're very much in it because the Arsenal have a tough game themselves against Aston Villa. I don't think United have a game. I think because there's some FA Cup games, um, I don't think yeah. United are playing either. I don't think so. I mean, I mean, all the fixtures coming up are like a, a really. It's going to be re- it's such a big impact. Some of them. I mean, you look at Arsenal. Arsenal have still got to play Chelsea away, United at home, West Ham away, and Spurs away among their fixtures. And like you say, even that trip to Villa at the moment is is a really difficult game. So Arsenal, although they've got a game in hand on Spurs and two games in hand on the rest, those games in hand are tough ones. And some of these games they've got, you know. They have been on a run of form. They've probably been the consistent one in maybe five, six matches. But then obviously that came to an end with the Liverpool game. And it'd be interesting to see how they react to that because you know, if they stumble in some of these bigger games, it's just going to let everyone in. And we're talking about three-point gap to Spurs. But even just to Wolves, it's a five-point. It's such a tight kind of knit group, that. And then you look at United. United have still got to play Liverpool and Arsenal away and Chelsea at home. West Ham have got to obviously come to Spurs this weekend. They've got Chelsea next month. Then they've got Arsenal and Man City at home in May. Uh, whereas Spurs, you know, toughest ones on paper, probably um, West Ham and the Arsenal game, obviously. And obviously got to go to Liverpool as well. But obviously, you know, two of those three are at home. Um, so it's kind of there for Spurs. But again, it's our favourite expression, on paper. <laughs> on paper, it's there. Um, they've probably, I think, probably have the better running out of the bunch, I think, especially when you see that two of the toughest games are the three, two of the three toughest games are at home. 
um, with a full Tottenham Hotspur stadium. You know, that that will be very difficult for whoever's coming. Um, yeah, Conte keeps talking about ambition. He's saying now we have to go for it. You know, it's going to be difficult, but we have to go for it. And I think having something to fight for is so important for these players. Um, and also the fact that as rubbish as it is to not be in any European competition or FA Cup competition, they are going to have more time to focus on these matches and they are going to be better prepared. And in Conte's own words, when we have time to prepare, to, uh, other teams find it very difficult to beat us. And it's true. I mean, the stats bear that out. So, yeah, I, I don't want to get go overboard because if they go win-loss, win-loss, win-loss for the rest of the season, they're not going to do it. Um, but if they can just find that little bit of stability and go on a little bit of a run, I, I, I think you know, I think they could start putting something together, and I think they could really, really challenge for that fourth spot. And yes, the North London derby, when it eventually uh, is wheeled out and we get a date, it could end up being a huge match, um, which it deserves to be. You know, no one wants to play North London derby with nothing riding on it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's keep an eye on. First things first, they've got to beat West Ham at the weekend. A West Ham team that you know, you know have had less time, less chance, less time to prepare. Obviously, played extra time last night as well. So Spurs really should be the favourites going into that game, I think. Um, but they have to live up to that tag. Yeah, very much so. And I think Spurs that have another midweek game now until the Arsenal one. Yeah. So a lot of time on the training pitch with Conte. So yeah, hopefully uh, we will be talking about Spurs finishing in the top four come the oh, end of the season. Calm down, calm down. I wasn't actually saying that. Let's not go too far. But, yeah, but it's about fixing <laughs> their consistency issues. It is massive. A lot of well, football to be played. They're consistent, <laughs> just in winning, loss, win, loss, win, loss. <laughs> a lot of football still to be played. Spurs just yeah. need to keep winning and to see what happens come the final few weeks. Uh, there's some news earlier this morning. Uh, Jaffet Tenganga, unfortunately, he's gone to miss the rest of the season through injury. Uh, he's had surgery on his right knee and he's expected to return to training during pre-season. Uh, just really unfortunate again for Jaff with the injuries. He does seem to have a uh, rotten look, to be honest, Uh yeah, not really good for him, is it? No, it's a variety of injuries. You know, we've spoken about Ryan Sessegnon in the past and obviously hamstring problems that he's trying to get past. But with Jaffet, it's just different stuff. He's had so many different kind of injuries. I mean, he's had his shoulder. I think he had a back injury. Uh, now it's his knee as well. I think he might have had a previous knee problem as well. Um, I just feel so sorry for him because he had that. Uh, a little run of bad form as well, where he was kind of getting a bit of stick as well from the fans. It's just been it's just a season that's kind of started so well. When you think it started with that Man City performance that he put in, and it's going to end with you know no matches in in so long. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just hope I hope he doesn't get defined by his injuries. I really hope he doesn't. Um, he's still young. What is he? Twenty. Two now, 22, something like that, early twenties. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's still plenty of time for him, and I and I hope it works for him at Spurs. Um, my just only fear is if he keeps getting injured and and managers don't get to use him, then I don't know whether they end up loaning him out. And, and I don't know. I don't know. That's all for the future. First off, he's got to get fit again, um, because there is a very good defender in there. Um, yeah, it's just just got to be able to play matches, unfortunately. Another one of Tottenham's academy graduates, Oliver Skip, does look likely to sign a new long-term contract. I know you were reporting that yesterday in your talking point, Sally. I mean, that's uh, very good news, that. It is. It's some positive news in a, another rubbish time as well for a player. And that poor old Skippy, he's very frustrated right now. Conte's clearly very frustrated right now. Um, just this groin issue he's got um, I can't remember the technical term which I put in my story yesterday I don't want to end up saying the wrong word especially with some of the words involved in it you could quite easily say something you really don't want to say um, and he's just had a nightmare what what was meant to be a little kind of problem just it got a little bit complicated as well and now you know he's just still having these little bits of pain as well and 
I asked Conte about him the other day. <laughs> he was just like, I can't tell you. I just don't know. He just I cannot give you a time frame. It's just such a strange one. Um, but the positive news is that it does, you know, it does appear that they're coming towards a very positive conclusion on his new contract. New bumper deal, which he deserves because he's had a real breakthrough season. You know, obviously a terrific season with Norwich, and then he's come back to Spurs, shown that he's a Premier League midfielder as well. And you know, we talk about um, you know, Ben Davies getting praised from all these managers. Oliver Skip gets praised from every single manager he plays for. Um, and Conte loves him. Conte thinks he can be one of the best, you know, a real top, top midfielder. Um, just get, needs to get past his current problem because he's not really someone that struggled with injuries, Skippy. You know, he's um, broke his foot, wasn't it, on the last couple of games at Norwich. Um, obviously came back from that. Actually came back ahead of time from that in pre-season, which meant that uh, Nuno was able to very quickly get him into his midfield. And then, yeah, Conte immediately saw him as a very important player. And that's why this deal... Uh, talks have taken place and yeah it looks like it's going to be tied up hopefully quite shortly um fully deserved in my mind i'm a big skippy fan when i said about sonny being my favorite player i think skippy's the one that maybe just pips him only because of obviously seen a lot of him coming through as a kid in the academy um i think he really is going to be such a good player uh, i really when skips back picking that midfield is going to be very difficult for contact in a good way but um, I'm intrigued to see what ends up becoming the partnership because I just wonder whether it could end up being Skip and Benton going forward, which is going to be a tough one for Hoivier because you're losing a, a leader in there as well. But then, as Jose Mourinho said, is Skippy going to become the new Tottenham captain one day? Does he become the leader? Um, but yeah, that's a good thing. That's what you want. It's competition. That's exactly what you need. It's no bad thing whatsoever. But yeah. So positive news, that should be done sooner rather than later, and hopefully they get that out there and announced. I know when I put it out there yesterday, I got all the people on Twitter, you know, is he still alive? And there's some people even going, I don't care, get him out of the pitch first. It's like, no, 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 you want to secure your best young players for the long term. You want to do that. Whether he's injured for now, even if he doesn't come back before the end of the season, which I'd hope he does. Again, we don't really know too. I think the only real cure for this problem is rest from everything that I've read. Um, and it just needs to be a certain point, I guess, that he has to rest up until. And whether they decide that that's the end of the season, I'd be surprised, I think. You know, it's one of those that I can't ask Conte about it again <laughs> because we'll probably just start crying. Um, but yeah, we could do with knowing a little bit more of clarity because there was one moment where he was back and he was doing little bits of work, but then I think he started to feel pain again. And so they had to, uh, they just knew it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. But yeah, no, it's good news. It is good news, the contract. Um, and I think this young man is going to be a fixture of that Tottenham team for many, many years to come. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that. I think if you can, if you can get him back towards the end of the season, fingers crossed, then that will give everyone a huge boost in what should be a big, big few weeks uh, for Tottenham has looked to finish in fourth. We'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. So as ever, thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.